0: It says, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Now, if you recall, the Lord has let or met uh, the apostle Peter and a few of the other apostles. They went back fishing. And Peter, when it came to the determination of what he was going to do, he went back to the old life. As always, they weren't catching anything until the Lord showed them where to fish. And now in verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dare ask him, Who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is how the third time, this is now the third time, Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. What the Lord is doing is meeting his disciples in the midst of despair. Specifically, the one we're looking at here is the Apostle Peter. This is the Apostle Peter who just led everybody else away from really what they're calling us. They're not supposed to be fishers of fish. They're supposed to be fishers of men. This is the same man who denied the Lord three times. Now, if we are honest about our Christian lives from born again until today we would see that our spiritual lives are a series of failures and restorations, some major, some minor. But the Lord is always with us. When we stumble, when we fall, when we fail, the Lord is always there. Even best case scenario, we're all trial and error personified at times. Again, that personification of The apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, the things that I want to do I don't always do, and the things that I don't want to do, sometimes I find myself practicing. But you know what? Salvation was not about our works, and maintaining our salvation is not about our works. It's God's job. In Romans chapter 4, verses 20 through 25, it says, he, Abraham, did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. Giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone, but it was imputed to him, but also for us. So again, we would understand and know that the day that I was saved, this was based upon the work of Jesus Christ. And then after that, it would only go to follow that every day that the Lord blesses me with is all about a work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his work of maturing me. It's his work of using me. It's his work of correcting me, training me, and having me become the person that God has called me to be. It's going to be that never-ending task, but nonetheless, that task that I've been called to, that we all have been called to, but again, God does the work. My righteousness is my righteousness has been imputed to me. That means it's in as if it's in a bank account. I will not receive righteousness until I'm in heaven, although right now I am seen as righteous. Well, what about those times when we go off, even as the apostles does? Well, what is Jesus doing? He's meeting them in the midst of their disobedience. He's meeting them where they shouldn't be. Because of this need for help in our walks, God commands us to be long-suffering. He commands us to be forgiving, and he commands us to be compassionate to one another, because you're probably not going to see Jesus calling you literally from the shore. But how does he call us? How does he minister to us? How does he meet us in the midst of our despair? Well, very well it could be a person sitting next to you. It could be somebody in the body of Christ, or maybe it's somebody that you have yet to meet, But nonetheless, God brings people into our lives in order to do his work. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 through 32, it says, and you see the strength of this calling. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I don't think we have anybody here who would want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So the question needs to be asked, what is it that grieves the Holy Spirit of God? says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so it says in verse 31, let all bitterness. So it tells me that bitterness grieves the Holy Spirit. And this would be as we're bitter towards one another. Wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. And I'm not making God out to be some great heavenly grandfather type that's heart is grieved when his children are fighting but i have seen that illustration i've experienced it with my own children when you see them not getting along and it's the same thing when god's people are disunified when god's people are divisive it grieves the heart of the holy spirit and so on the other hand what is it that brings joy to the lord as we're bringing joy to one another as we're ministering to one another and sometimes as we're digging in and even doing the hard things in each other's lives in order to exhort one another and encourage one another we are all works in progress and we will be works in progress until that time that we are with the lord when there is no long suffering when there is no forgiveness or compassion those who have stumbled come to the point where they believe they have forfeited their chances for a successful walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and that's kind of where Peter is right now and so am I an encourager or am I a discourager see the more encouragers that we have the stronger the body is going to be Discourage wreaks disunity and disunity it causes the church to not be all that it can be In Acts chapter 15, we saw the Apostle Paul and Barnabas went out on the missionary field, and part of it was training young men to go with them. They, in fact, were being trained themselves. It was their first missionary journey. Things got hard. It got tough, and this young man, John Mark, you know him simply as Mark. He wrote the Gospel of Mark, probably as spoken by Peter to him, but nonetheless, this young man, things got hard, and so he left. Apostle Paul, a man passionate about the Lord and the things of the Lord, well, when it's time to do the second missionary journey, he wants absolutely nothing to do with anybody who would bail with him, bail out from him in the middle of the ministry. But later on, God had done a work in his heart, and some of his last words were in 2 Timothy 4, verse 11. It says, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. He is useful to me for ministry. Paul learn the lesson of the value of people in the work of ministry. So it's here in chapter 12, I'm sorry, in chapter 21, starting in verse 12, that we see the Lord's heart because we can look at Simon Peter and say, well, you know what? He left And, well, we'll go find somebody else. But that's not how the Lord works. So in verse 12, really what you see is is the essence of every evangelical message that has ever been given and any restoration project that has ever been taken upon. You see it right there. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come, come. Now, we're at the end of John, and Jesus is still saying to the same guys, come. Come. Now, they've been with him for three years. Jesus is crucified, and again, I think we need to focus on Peter, but they are all fishing, but nonetheless, the Lord's prepared for them this meal, and he just simply says, come. He makes it very easy in his call, just one simple command to do and to follow through. But see, this is how the gospel of John is ending. Do you remember how it began? Turn over to John chapter 1, Verse 39. Jesus was seeing two disciples who were following him. In verse, actually, verse 38, when Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, Where are you staying? And he said to them, Come come and see. Just a simple call, just a simple command. They came, a simple obedience. Jesus simply said, come, they came, and they never left. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the cry, the cross. The Christ and he brought him to Jesus now when Jesus looked at him he said you are Simon the son of Jonah you shall be called Cephas which is translated a stone so it was just simply come and because he came because he saw he went and he told his brother and his brother came to Christ as well it's kind of a, a Christian term that we use when did you come to Christ well that's all Christ has ever called for us to do And again, it's after we do that that he does the rest of the work. Hey, Sean, can you turn on the middle row of lights so we can bring these people into God's marvelous light here? And if you look down at at verse 46, it says, And Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. So just as even as the Lord had spoke to him, now he speaks just simply the same message to anybody else. Now, if you've been part of this church for any amount of time, you've heard me say you can't see the beauty of the Lord until you enter in. We've used that as an example in the uh, the tabernacle, but also in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so really, that's the message that we go out there and preach is come to Christ come to Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And it's when people are obedient, it's then that they see the magnitude of the Lord and who the Lord is. And so what we have in tonight's section of Scripture is man's part and God's work of redemption. First is the call of the Lord to come in verses 12 and 14. Secondly, the restoration of those who answer that call in verses 15 through 17. So, at the beginning of the gospel in John chapter 1, Jesus is telling them to come. And they come and they walk with him and they learn from him. And at the end, though, when they turn, when they walk away, when they stumble, when they fall, again, the command is still the same it's to come. And so not only do, should we, well, we should never think that we have risen past that original command, because what do we do? Well, a lot of times, instead of coming, we kind of drift, and we kind of drift away. But there's got to be that knowledge, it's got to be that understanding that the invitation is always there, and there's always that opportunity. If I have drifted away, if I've walked away, whatever it might be, I can always come back. And so Jesus, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And if anybody answers, he will come into them. But you have to come and you have to answer the door. And then as you do, then the Lord, he fills your life. And so looking at the apostle Peter, object lesson for tonight. Before the crucifixion, we all know, Peter walked with the Lord but in the hour of the Lord, which seemed to be his greatest need, we know that the Lord was going to emerge victorious in this area, but Peter did perceive it as a great need. Peter failed. Peter had gave great promises, but when the Lord seemingly, needed him the most, he couldn't live up to what he said he was going to do. And so Peter, at this point here in John chapter 21, has yet to be restored, and I would imagine his failure is the motive for his fishing. He's probably of the mindset of a lot of us. I tried. I I, I tried. I, I was there. I followed him. I did come to him, but... I, I just couldn't do it. I, I I just couldn't do what I what I thought that I I needed to do. And as he has failed, he is now left. In Peter's mind, the Lord now knows what an imperfect person that he is. He's a person who tried but improperly represented himself to the Lord. Peter's problem. He was always trying to conform Jesus and his commands to his, to Peter's preconceived notion on how things should be. I was like that. I was like that when I first got saved. And God kept teaching me and showing me and training me. Usually it was his trial and my failure. And he he does these things in our lives so that we come in to his glorious truth. But in his glorious truth is a high awareness of, of your failure or maybe your inabilities, but also his grace and his love. That as we look amongst us, it's imperfect people who God uses. It's people who fail, who God enables to be victorious. Earlier, Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So we need to be sacrificially uh, loving with one another now Peter responds in John chapter 13 verse 37 Peter said to him Lord why can I not follow you now I will lay down my life for your sake so Peter's taken something to an extreme the Lord says that we are to love one another as I have loved you well how has Jesus loved you he laid down his life for you and so Peter is saying, hey, Lord, I'll, I'll lay down my life for you, and then everybody will see the magnitude of the love that I have for you. Peter, again, not understanding the concept. Jesus replies in John 13, verse 38, says, Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Moses said, surely I say to you, the rooster shall not crow until you have denied me three times. In essence, what Jesus is saying is, what you just said, Peter, it's really impossible. You're not prepared, you're not able to give of your life for me. Matter of fact, you can't even give your life to me until I give of my life for you. And then Peter said in verse 20, or chapter 26, verse 33, this time of Matthew, Jesus answered and said to him, "'Even if all are made to stumble because of you,' I will never be made to stumble. You want to make the Lord laugh? Tell him your plans. Tell him your perception of yourself. And again, all of these things, they're based upon ignorance, and they're based upon pride. Peter, we know at this point, he's destined to failure. Lord, you don't know the degree to which I love you, and it's much more than the rest, in essence, is what Peter is saying. And if you notice each of the four gospels they contain Peter's denial of the Lord Jesus Christ because in our old religious lives we were kind of like that because it was always about what we were able to do for the Lord and and, and what we're able to do for the religion and what we're able to do for this and that and that's never what it's about it's always about what Christ has done because going back to verse 12 if you're going to tell people to come to Christ What's going to be their motivation to come to Christ? It's based upon what he has done. All of you who are tired and heavy laden, Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you rest. But you've got to come to him. And so we come to him because of his love. We come to him because of his grace. We come to him because of the great works which he has done and because of the lack of works which I must do. And so Peter's problem is probably best exemplified in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding and so past religious experiences most of us we developed our own understanding based upon the liturgies and the doctrines that were given to us but then came the preaching of God's word and as the preaching of God's word there was the sharper awareness of who God is I'll never forget it, I just revisited, revisited it not too long ago when my cousin was down from Oregon just the remembrance of the day that I was saved the time of first love there was a religious experience that I had experienced previously and pretty much have had enough of it all and again it was based upon works and I was failing at the works that I was supposed to do but then there was the preaching of the word of God. It was coming to Calvary Chapel and understanding the magnitude of who God is and what God has done. And again, we're told if the sun sets us free, we're free indeed. And when you experience that freedom, there's just something so liberating about that. It's just simply about coming to Christ and the goodness of Christ and finding the rest that he has to offer. And so, again, that's at the time of salvation, but never get past that never get past it the God who was gracious to you on the day of your salvation is the God who will be gracious to you today the God who gave you that rest when you came to him on the day that you were saved is the same God who'll give you rest when you come to him even today it matters not if you have even denied him if you have wandered off going back to the old life or whatever it's just a matter of coming to him And so now we've got this valuable lesson that we should all be able to relate to with Simon Peter in verses 15 through 17. The Lord is reaching out to Peter for the purpose of restoring him, using him, and meets him in the midst of his disobedience. He met him exactly where Peter needed to be met. Because, think about it. Peter made bold statements that he'd give of his life for him. Everybody else, Lord... Everybody else may deny you. They may bail on you, but not me. And then there he is. There's the Lord. He's taken captive. And Peter, when he's confronted, even by his slave girls, not bold enough to admit that he was even one of the Lord's followers. And somewhere along the lines, he kind of slithers away out into the darkness. And it had to be just heartbreaking that when he heard that the Lord was killed upon the cross. And then he gets the news that the tomb is empty. He goes and he examines the tomb and he understands that the Lord has been resurrected as much as he's able to understand that through the Lord's teachings. Now, I would imagine there had to be joy, but there also had to be concern. Maybe call it conviction. Conviction, because if the Lord just died, then, yeah, I gave these promises, but there probably won't be any repercussions. But now that the Lord has been risen again, there's that conviction that had to reign within his heart knowing that at some point he more than likely was going to come face to face with his lord and have to give an account and that would have to be a scary thing being called into the principal's office being called into the boss's office having to give an account for maybe something you said or something you've done and so the lord is going to meet peter obviously exactly where he is in a way that need that in a way that exhibits compassion exhibits long-suffering and all for the purpose of restoration the lord's going to do so in three groups of three exchanges that contain a question from the lord peter's response and then a command from the lord question from the lord based upon who peter was or what peter had said a response from peter based upon the conviction and confession of where he is now and what he's able to do but a reassurance from the lord A reassurance that Peter now has come through a proper perspective of who he is and in the sight of Jesus Christ, that's okay. Don't get me wrong. Sin, sin is going to do damage in our relationship with the Lord. There's going to be the feelings from our standpoint of separation. There's going to be times when some of us could even be put on a shelf and not be used by the Lord, whatever, because we've sinned, we've walked away from him. But Jesus knows exactly who you are. He didn't wait until you were perfect until he called you into ministry. He knew what he was getting. And and, and there's something that is just so liberating about that. He knew of all of your perfections. Keep in mind, Jesus inhabits eternity. On the day he saved you, he knew of every single sin that you would ever commit after you were saved. And again, this is not a license to sin. We're not to use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But the fact of the matter is knowing exactly who you are Knowing exactly how you are, he still brought you into the kingdom of heaven and he still called you into his ministry. And so, questioning from the Lord, Peter's response, but a command of the Lord that gives a reassurance that he still is usable by the Lord. Before we start looking at three ways in which the Lord is going to meet Peter, the Lord uses a play in words here in order to make his point. The first one is seen how the Lord uses Peter's old name. He calls him Simon in John chapter 1 verse 42, and he brought him Peter to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated, or, or Peter, which is translated as stone. The name Simon means to listen, to hear, or to obey. The name Peter means rock, Jesus's point is that Simon will be planted in God's word and be stable, firm, and strong. So when Jesus says Simon, though, to Peter, it's a reminder of who he used to be. It's a reminder of his past imperfections. We've all become new creations in Christ at the moment that we believed. But there's always those memories of who we used to be. And and so Peter... Peter maybe became that strong rock in the wrong direction, if you know what I mean, and that he started relying upon what he's able to do. But now all of a sudden, here he's defeated. He realizes he's not that strong afterwards. Prayerfully, he will listen, he will hear, and he will obey. And so here, Jesus has purpose in referring to him as his old name. It's, it does speak of his his weaknesses. Secondly, Peter refer I'm sorry, Jesus refers to Peter as the son of Jonah. Now Jonah is his father's name, is Peter's father's name, but the idea here is, you're Simon, the son of a Jonah. I'm Mike, the son of a Hank. Uh, I, I, I'm as my father was, uh, as we're told in Genesis about those who begot so-and so and then they died. and the only reason they died is because sin had entered into the equation. I have the essence and the nature. Of my father the essence he was Italian well my mother's Irish so I'm half Italian my father had the unibrow I got the unibrow I've got some other things that are reminiscent of my father as well that'd be the essence of my father I've got the nature of my father also my father my father had a sinful nature that had to be dealt with by the Lord Jesus Christ and it was it's the same thing in my life I have a sinful nature that needed to be dealt with by the Lord Jesus Christ and it was Peter is being disobedient but God is meeting him where he is at in the midst of his disobedience thirdly Jesus uses a play on the word love that we'll look at to make his point now in the English language we've got one word for love in the Greek, there are many, but there are two specifically that are used here. The first is where we get the word agape from. It's agapo. It always refers to a sacrificial love, and it's used in God's relationship with us. It is a perfect love. It's a wor- it's a love that we can understand because we are undeserving of the love of the Lord. The Lord will use that word twice. That's kind of love that Peter thought that he could express to Jesus Christ when he talked about dying for the Lord in John three sixteen, it says for God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life it just reeks of sacrifice now the second form of love that we're going to see here is the Lord will use it once and Peter will use it as well three times is phileo Aleo is human love or appreciation or the love of a brother or a love of a friend. So Jesus asked Peter in verse fifteen, Simon. Again, speaks of who he used to be and that had a hurt. It speaks of who he was before Christ. Jonah, I got the nature of my father. Do you agape me? Do you sacrificially love me more than these? Hey Simon. Do you love me? Now, now after all that's happened, and just think of how deep that had a cut. He's meeting him in the midst of his pride. Simon, do you love me sacrificially? Peter's failure demonstrated that he loved his own life more than the Lord's. There's nothing sacrificial about his love. Do you agape me more than these? There's been some debate about what he means by more than these, Remember, he's cooking a meal. They just had brought in a bunch of fish. And so, do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than this boat? Do you love me more than this occupation? I mean, it could be saying that, but that's not really what the point of the story here is. Do you love me more than these? I really think he's referring to the other disciples that are there. Now, he's not referring to Peter's love for the disciples, but Peter... You said you would love me more than any man could love me. Now, do you love me to a greater magnitude than these guys do? Peter, are you still trying to stand out above the crowd here? Peter, as what you've just demonstrated to yourself, do you still have that old mindset? Again, at one time, Jesus said he did love, I'm sorry, Peter said that he did love Jesus more than the rest of the disciples. Matthew twenty six thirty one through 33, read part of it earlier. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee." So he's saying that all of you guys, in essence, are going to deny me. But then Peter stands up and says, Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. He thought he could, but he could not demonstrate this in reality. And so just think of Peter as he's hearing these words. Think of the conviction that he must have from what he truly believed that he he could do and when it came time he failed just think of the things that we're able to stand against think of the temptation that we think that we're able to overcome and we've got to be people of the mindset that understand our limitations the only thing that i have is the power that i've received from god but as far as me and my flesh as paul said nothing good dwells he said to him yes lord You know that I fully owe you. So Jesus asked, do you agape me? And it had to, again, just strike him to the depths of his heart. And and Peter's got to be thinking, yeah, I remember saying that. And I thought I, I would be able to do it. But when it came time, I was so overwhelmed. I was so intimidated. And now Peter, what we see here, he's never ceased loving the Lord. He just came to the realization of the magnitude of the love that he has for God his love is not on par for the love that God has for him that's why Paul would write in Romans uh, uh, chapter 8 verses 35 through 37 nothing will separate us from the love of God now there's a lot of things that can separate God from our love our love is imperfect but nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Peter is not separated from the love of God, but he is getting a clear picture of the magnitude of his love for the Lord. Lord, you know and always did know that I would fail. I do love you, but as you are perfect, so is your love for me. As I am imperfect, so is my imperfect love for you. Peter loved Jesus enough to go into the courtyard, but not enough to stand for him when he was questioned. There were limits to his love. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Do you agape me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love, that I phileo you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah. Now this time Jesus' changes here. Do you phileo me, Peter? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. What, Peter, um, what Jesus says to Peter here, he says to us all, the best that we're able to do is to phileo, but that's okay. He can work with that. And so, Peter, do you... Do you love me? Peter, do you sacrificially love me? Lord, I, I, I fillet all you. Feed my sheep. That, that's okay. That's okay, Jesus is saying. I, I'm not expecting you to do something here that you're unable to do. Feed my sheep. Peter, and why is he doing this three times? I think he's meeting Peter in each of his failures here. He, how many times did Peter deny the Lord? Anoint him three times and so peter do you agape me lord you know that i only phileo you that's okay tend to my sheep tend the sheep tend the sheep or, or shepherd the sheep so he's to be a feeder and he's to be a shepherder and then a third time and it's really driving the point home to peter peter but he, he changes this time instead of agape it's phileo Peter do you fly, oh and, and, and it just had to touch the heart of Peter. He knew that's all I could ever do. He, and, and he still came and he still came to the seashore even when not only did I deny him I just completely walked away and he called me to come to him and to have intimate fellowship to, to dine together And now he's meeting me. Peter, do you owe oh, me? And he was grieved because it had to be that third time that it really hit the point home of the three denials. You know that I phileo you, Lord. I know, you know, we both know that you know. And Jesus said to him, in essence, that's okay, feed my sheep. So what God is calling out to us tonight is, no matter where you're at with the Lord, you got to come to him. And, and you've got to stay, and you've got to stay connected. And you can't allow conviction, and you can't allow the lies of the enemy, the great accuser, to allow you to become defeated in your Christian walk. And if you have, that's okay. Come back. Just come back to him. He already knows your imperfections. He already knows what you're unable to do. And you can sit there, and you can tell the Lord of all your failures, and he will say, if you've got a heart to repent, that's okay. Get back to work. Get back to doing the things that I've called you to do. And so we see with Peter, he did. And, and Peter was part of the process that set the known world on its ear. Not just the world of that day, but the world throughout the course of history. We're, we're continuing to reap the benefit of not just Peter, but the rest of the apostles. Because remember, the other guys belled on him as well. And, and we're still here, reaping the benefits of their ministry as they were faithful to go forth and to feed sheep, to tend sheep, and to feed sheep, to continue to feed sheep. And as they were faithful in that, salvation arrived on the doorstep of our lives thousands of years later, 2,000 years later. And so we have this, this great picture of those who at one point seemed to fail. From Peter's perspective, we can receive the hope that as Peter saw this great grace of God, as he understood the magnitude of God's mercy, and it was that which would inspire him when Jesus ascended to heaven to study the word of God, and then when he was filled with the Holy Spirit to give the word of God, that he was used in mighty ways. In Jeremiah chapter 1, and Peter had to come to a knowledge similar to this, verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. Then I said, O Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And so just as he knew Jeremiah... He knows Peter, and again, he knows you. So once again, going back to where I started in the study, because we're all imperfect people, because we stumble and fall, because we do things that are even just outright sin in the sight of God, we've got to be there for one another because it's not just Peter who can't agape the Lord or couldn't fulfill what he had promised. None of them did but what they were able to give was okay. And so what we need to examine within the body of Christ is the manner in which we, the manner in how we perceive a brother or sister who has gone off fishing, who's wandered away, who has outright sinned. Now, Paul wrote this in the book of Galatians, and this has always had a pretty strong impact on me. Now, he's just gone through the fruit of the Spirit. There's kind of a checklist there that you would know if you're spiritual And in verse six, it says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, you who exhibit the fruit of the spirit, you who are filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's brethren. So he's talking to the church. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, notice he used the term trespass and not sin. What's sin? Sin is missing the mark. A trespass is knowing the mark and not even aiming for it. That's willfully going out of your way to sin. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, again, you could refer back to verse 22 of the previous chapter, 22 through 24, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And so that person isn't to be beat up, isn't to be cast out, but you need to consider yourself because you could fall into the same exact sin. As you condemn that person, would you want that person at some point condemning you? And so we're to bring this person to minister to this person for the purpose of bringing him back into the fold. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens. And so as somebody has stumbled and fallen, that is to be my burden. It's to be our burden. We are to go and we are to lift that person up. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something... When he is nothing, that was kind of Peter's problem, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. We're bearing our own load when we're bearing the load of others. Our own load is exercising the spiritual gifting that we've been given for the benefit of the body of Christ. It's an example that Jesus gave. I mean, how easy would it have been Peter in my hour of need and based upon everything that you have said you've left me and you forsook me but Peter Jesus didn't didn't do that Jesus came in a loving manner met him restored him and Peter Peter was used in amazing ways Father I just pray Lord that we would see the potential the potential in our lives but also Lord The potential in the lives of those whom you have given us to minister to and so father i pray that we would not sell each other short but father we would understand lord the great work that you're able to do through people whose hearts are sold out to you and so father i pray that we would be of the mindset even right now of whoever in our church those people that we've been looking down our noses at maybe the people that particular person that we've been complaining about a particular person that we're thinking, well, should they even be here? I pray, Father, that we would see that person to be our burden, and we would take up that burden in prayer, that we would take up that burden in a physical manner, maybe just hugging that person, put our arm around it and minister to them, and and, and to see them restored and to see them brought back to be a productive Christian. And so, Lord, that's what feeding sheep and tending sheep is all about. And so, Father, make us all about doing your great work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? We're going to have a guest teacher on Sunday morning. Robert Baltanano has been out many times. is going to be out ministering to the church. Um, keep us up in prayer. We're driving up tomorrow, and we'll be in um, Mammoth until Sunday. and. Pray that we make it back safely as well. And the great work that God wants to do. Have a great weekend. God bless you guys.